0: It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time.
2: to
0: stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan
1: for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
0: This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So, when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC, I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing?
2: Doing alright man, thanks man, how are you?
1: Very good, very good.
2: Enjoyed some football?
1: Yes, I did in the end. It wasn't Lovely. all joyous this evening, but it got there, it got there.
2: It got there, nice. A uh, quick bit of admin before we go. So obviously we're rounding up the two quarterfinals so far. Righty's house will round up the other two, we're going to do that Monday. Uh, it'll be up Monday afternoon, European time yeah hope everyone's staying safe and well that's the most the most important bit of admin t-shirts a few days left on t-shirts only four days left if you go to twitter.com forward slash stadio check the pin tweet all the information on who we're donating to is now up um so yeah if you want to get our pride logo stadio tees only a few days left to pre-order
1: oh i've got a piece up uh oh, yeah. on Euro 2020 so far and you've got a piece coming up soon as well
2: On my my son, Pedri.
1: Indeed, yep, yep.
2: (laughs) Finally. But yeah, so shall we dive straight into the football? Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together... We're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, man. Should we
2: begin with the final game of the evening? Italy beating Belgium 2-1 to go through to set up a quarterfinal against Spain. Wow. What a game. One of my favorite games of the tournament, actually. I would say my favorite. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, I would say my favourite. I think because the technical level, obviously Germany-Portugal was more thrilling, but the technical level of this one rose above it for me because this felt like two finalists.
2: Yeah, I I was chatting to Stefan Ersfeld actually and he said this feels like the final.
1: Right, right. And you get that sometimes in tournaments, don't you? Mm. Well,
2: there were a load of group games that felt like quarterfinals. That's right. Yeah, great shout. Great shout. And now now you've actually got Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because a couple of the knockout games so far haven't really felt like knockout games, actually.
1: That's right. Weird enough, Spain-Croatia felt like an old-school quarterfinal. Oh, yeah. A very old-school quarterfinal, right.
2: Actually, before it went to extra time, that game, I know we're going off topic a little bit, but before it went to extra time, the Croatia-Spain game actually felt like a group game to me. (laughs) Yeah, it did.
1: When I said this, actually, that game had five distinct acts. Yeah. Yeah, five
2: phases. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... Belgium knocking, uh, sorry, Italy knocking Belgium out. A bit of a bit of, I mean, how do you want to do it? Do you want to just go through the game and then we'll talk about it more after? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, thoughts and prayers with Chiro Mobile, who was absolutely flattened on the opening goal. Yeah. He missed it because he was laying down in agony and then saw the ball go in the net and. A resurrection. He he rose <laughs> to celebrate. <laughs> Oh, that guy. Um, give us your take on the goal.
1: Uh, well, it was Nicola Barella, who's been brilliant for Inter this year. Lovely strike. I'm very, very happy for him. Uh, he's a wonderful player. Lovely strike, but also he extracted himself from traffic very well. And there mm. was a funny thing that happened there. This was always going to be a game of the fine margins. And there's something about that Belgian defence, you know, it's been, we've been talking about it the whole time. They're very good, but they're not the most mobile and it was always that thing where if you're slightly slow on the front foot, which they were, it's going to count against you. And just saw it for a split second for that goal. They were caught on their heels and a player like Burelio will sniff that and just expose that great strike to into the opposite corner.
2: I mean, you know, if Insigne, Immobile and Chiesa isn't enough to deal with for Vermalin, for Tongan and Alderweireld, who aren't, I think it is fair to say, the most mobile, right. the quickest, You've then got Verratti pushing up, Barella coming up to join the attack. And then obviously we'll talk about his injury a little bit later, but you know, Spinazzola. Wow, what a player. Overlapping and, and being the furthest man forward. That was that amazing pass in the second half that Insigne hit yes. over the top to him that Spinazzola like hit wide. But this is a, do you know what? I'm, I'm really impressed by Italy because I was a little bit worried about them after the last game. Against Austria, interestingly, okay. I was. I, I, it kind of hmm, how can I say? It? It, it, it felt like maybe now that it was getting down to the knockouts, maybe they wouldn't be as as fluid as we'd seen them in the groups. Because we did say that their group wasn't the strongest. That's right. I think this is such a. Oh, I'm going to go there, Musa It's a statement of victory.
1: It is a statement victory.
2: Yeah, it is. But I would caveat that by saying we said before that like this Belgium side is so weird. They're so weird because they've got, you know, there's all the talk of Golden Generation and stuff like that, which is what it is, but the fact that, I think we said that, you know, a tournament favourite that has such clearly identifiable upgrade potential, you know.
1: They've got a strange divergence of quality across the squad.
2: Yeah, they're kind of like an international PSG.
1: Yes, yes, very much so. Do you know very what I mean? much so.
2: But I think that's a little bit, not, not quite as extreme because I think that the, the floor and the ceiling is closer together. Right, right. But, but I think that there are very targ- targetable, as you saw tonight, at the very targetable weaknesses in that Belgium.
1: Sport. To be honest, they're quite like Inter. Yeah, that's they're a kind point of like actually. Inter Milan. You know, obviously they've got Lukaku there still, but in terms of like, Inter Milan have got, good quality, solid players, but they do have that kind of aging element, if that makes sense.
2: Although, can you imagine Belgium with Hakimi? Well,
1: yeah, well, a fully, (laughs) a fully, this Belgian team, Belgium team, you know, with fitness and a bit more youth, fantastic. But the age counts and it's those tiny margins and against the Mm. team as beautifully balanced as as Italy. Italy also exhausting. This is the thing. They're ball, relentless. Ball retention is excellent, but also there's that thing they do where they're playing almost these bounce passes that they're a team that's not afraid to get the ball off the ground and get it down again. There's quite mm-hmm. a few times in the first half in particular they'd have a sequence of passes where they're like, they'd smack it in the air and the ball would come to play on a half volley and they'd cushion it and it'd be on the ground again and they'd raise it again and it was just, it was quite bewildering actually for certain periods. It can be quite manic. Yeah, yeah, it can be. They're playing like these high intensity rondo and I think when they're doing that, when you see these patterns of play, they're by design. Mancini mm. has obviously said, play in and around, high intensity and tie them out because that's the thing that he would have, you know, because Mancini's he's a super smart coach. And there was a period in the second half when they're doing all the olays. They had the ball for about, I think almost a minute and a half. Eventually went out on the right hand side, but the interplay of like Verratti in particular, Spinazzola was just bewildering. And you yeah, could were, see, yeah. you could see Belgium being dragged all
2: over the place. They, I mean, they're going to be a handful. I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit again yeah. because we want to talk about the Spinazzola injury, which just kind of gave the win a bit of a bittersweet edge to it for Italy, for sure. Yeah. But um, Insigne got the second with a beautiful, beautiful goal, and he tried. I actually tweeted that he tried one earlier on in the first half. Yeah, range fi- a rangefinder. Yeah, what's the what's the what is the actual like term for that? I was trying to think of it and I couldn't. I, couldn't I call it a rangefinder.
1: I saw your tweet and I loved it. So I know you're completely right because he cut in.
2: Um, and he
1: was like sizing up, wasn't he?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Courtois saved the first one. Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, who was it who had that chance? Was it, was it Sterling had a similar one against Neuer at Wembley earlier in the first half, I think maybe. But yeah, it was very much just like kind of getting his eye in. That's yes, yes, yes. That's yes. The term yeah, I yeah. to, That's to right, use. yeah, getting your eye in, yep, yeah, yeah. And then he kind of
1: went with it the second time. But you knew it was coming. It was like a Robert Perez type thing you know how it's going to end up. Yeah, and totally. The yeah. advance was inevitable, but you see that moment where I don't know if it was, was it Vertonghen or Vermaulen had their arms behind their back waiting for mm. the strike. And they're like, "That you only do that when, this is the weird thing about that kind of thing. You only have your hands your back like that if you're jumping and committing to it, mm. which means it's a strange thing of standing off and not quite picking your poison. And Insigne, we know he's been doing that for Napoli for, all forever. season. Well, yeah. For, well, for, forever, frankly, forever. Forever, yeah. Do you know what I will say as well about Insigne that I love about him is that he was in that shadow, you know, at, at Napoli, in the shadow of the great playmaker Maradona. What I love about him is he's carved his own path. Yeah. So it's one thing to be a legend, but be a legend in the shadow of someone. And, you know, he's won like Coppa Italia with Napoli. Um, they didn't get to the Champions League. And it's almost like he's kind of getting the, I'm so happy he's kind of getting his like, the summer that he deserved with Napoli mm. he didn't quite get the outcome he deserved and here he's been superb and just a playmaker that's a joy to watch so I'm really happy that he's getting his shine because I feel like he hasn't maybe fully had it if you think mm. about his reputation outside Italy it feels to me like it's a kind of like a rung below what it should be
2: yeah Napoli is as legendary or as cult as they are they kind of still feel like um like a football in equivalent of like a a legendary but small market NBA franchise. Yes, and that's not yes. I'm not saying that Naples is a small market at all, but in terms of, in terms of like slightly being off the radar- Like you a know, Dame
1: Lillard type thing. Yeah, or, you know, like kind of- Maybe the Suns before the Suns got good this year, like Devin Booker, and everyone was like, how good is he really?
2: Yeah, it's just one of, these, like, yeah. Yeah, one of these sides yeah. that I think, unless you- Unless you watch our regularly or, or unless you catch them in Europe, for example, I don't think a lot of people will just casually check in on napoli i think that that's changed over the last four or five years, yeah, but um but yeah, it is very easy for people, I think, to just massively produce consistently for Napoli and maybe not get the shine that they deserve. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that happens a lot actually I th- do you want to switch it to a Belgian perspective because they've got the penalty, yeah. Of uh it was Ducky who got taken down, didn't wasn't he?
1: Yeah, uh by DiLorenzo. Mm. Um
2: now Manuel Grafer was um the German ex German referee who was um like the uh refere- the playing the Peter Walton role, for those of you who've watched BT Sport and poor Peter Walton gets kept in a cupboard. And <laughs> um they just keep asking him questions. He said it was very soft, he thought. He wasn't sure if it was a penalty or not. I actually thought it was a penalty in real time, but it was one of those... Actually, shouts to Ed Kilver, my mate. He was, he was texting me saying, that's one of those that definitely doesn't look a penalty in, on VAR. I thought it was and, a clear penalty. I mean, I thought it was, but I think it's one of those that you could see get overruled on VAR because the speed, when you slow it down, you almost lose the kind of the energy caused he by It went to nudge.
1: light speed. That's the thing, the acceleration. This is the thing that's underestimated. I saw everyone going... Oh, not sure. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people are, like, not sure on, on Twitter. And I just thought the acceleration that he puts on that guy is mind-blowing. Mm. And they double up in the second half. You see that they're doubling up, tripling up in some cases because they know it. Like it's his ability, which is pretty startling. And I, someone said to me, because I, I tweeted like, he's fearless. And someone said, oh, they say about all young players. I said, no, it's not just that. It's his ability to make excellent decisions at high speed and with end product. That's what marks him out. Like his, his pass completion was really good in this game in the final thirds, like eighty-five percent pass completion. Like, mm. and he completed like eight dribbles, which is like three times as much as anyone else.
2: Yeah, the closest next, uh, the next closest player was someone with three. I think a couple had three. Yeah, it was. It's actually Nicola Borello who had three. Yeah, right.
1: Which, which, which is funny because that that sort of fits the eye test in, in terms of what we mm. were seeing on the pitch. But the acceleration that he puts is that at that speed, any contact makes you go. Any, 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 any deviation, any kind of like, yeah. You know,
2: yeah. Uh, the good, the good guys at Scouted Football wrote a really good tweet about him saying, Jeremy Docker's change of pace is similar to a diminutive rugby union winger, especially Excellent. the little hop he does before exploding out of a step. Bursts like his are so disruptive. I thought that was a really good observation, actually. I
1: love it. He reminded me of Sidney Govu, actually. Mm. Sidney Govu at Lyon early in, you know, back in the day when he first burst on the scene, the same kind of style. And, um... Yeah, to me, it was a clear penalty, and, and Lukaku had a lot of guts to put that away because Donnarumma was, knows his game. It
2: was a big moment as well,
1: and he had to wait a long time to take it as well. Mm. Had to wait for a full review. I mean, that the VAR review adds what, like another? You're taking like a penalty and a half because it adds another, like what, like almost a minute to the waiting time.
0: Mm.
1: So, great penalty from Lukaku. So it's two at half time. But
2: apart from the penalty, though. There was the, the Lukaku Luka, chance in the second half.
1: The great stop from Spina mm-hmm. That is an excellent stop by Spina Do you think? And also the deflected cross. He should have scored the Lukaku, right? Uh, the one at the far post of Spina Sola. Mm-hmm. I wonder if a better contact, I think a really good contact, a great contact with the right foot. I think you get that. That's a goal. Mm-hmm. I think when I first saw it, I was like, how the hell has he not scored it? Then I see Soda's intervention, but then I think to myself, he didn't get the best contact on it. I think that's the one that he'll regret. I think he should regret. I think he should regret that one. Because the thing about Italy is you don't get those many chances in open play against them.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the thing I think we've said that there aren't a huge amount of elite defenses in the tournament, right? I think I think Italy are one of the sides remaining who have an elite defense. So
1: them in England, them in England, yeah,
2: yeah. I think those are the two. Actually, I think those two are the most elite defenses in the in the tournament, and that might be enough to get them into the final because they also have some very elite tacking talent. Now, obviously, yeah. we've talked about England, and we'll talk about them more on Wrighty's house because that will be after uh, the game against Ukraine. But from an Italy point of view, if they do get to the final, I don't think that would actually be any fluke in terms of how you're seeing the tournament kind of settle. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly before we wrap up on Portugal, uh, on, on Portugal, on Belgium, they didn't really feel like they were, they had anything else. I, I, if they they looked quite tired, I thought Belgium, and they've had a lot of players who have pro, who have been playing through the tournament not fully fit. And I think you said something really interesting earlier about Italy being exhausting. And I think when you're a squad in that state, I think they were one of the worst teams to face at this stage of the tournament. Awful. Yeah. Because they just will not let you rest. It's like being friends with you. (laughs) You just can't. just like, you have to be plugged in. Good night's sleep, good breakfast.
1: Ready ready,
2: ready to go yeah, you, but you can't just, you can't just half ass it with, without going, you've got to be on your A game. Oh, otherwise God. it's just not, it's just not a pleasure, oh. pleasant experience. Oh, God. Just, no matter, no matter what your expected it's, lols are. It's the truth. You expected going, lols? You're going over a loser. This is the truth. This is,
1: this is, this is the honest <laughs> truth. And, <laughs> People I, think I'm joking. That is the truth. And what, what was difficult, um, what was very difficult for Belgium was they don't have multiple playmakers, really.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, you know, you knew it was really, I mean, when Mertens came on, weird enough, I thought the sub of Tiedemanns changed the balance. Unfortunately, because you didn't have that, you didn't have that kind of midfield balance. So you had these, these attackers and it, it felt a bit misshapen. Mm. But what I will say is, in the absence of Aiden Hazard, these things all add up. Mm. Uh, Torgham was decent, but found himself in a lot of traffic. Mounier was subdued. So a lot was expected of De Bruyne. And Le Bruyne, like, you know, first half looked brilliant. Second half faded. But I just think that Italy had more tools. And when you've only got one or two primary tools, playmaking tools, and Tiedemanns was a little below his best in this game, I think it's fair to say, when you know that the threats are coming from only a couple of places on the pitch, then they're easier to snuff out. Mm. And one thing I noticed, actually, the, the one contrast I'll draw between, well, the comparison between this game and the earlier game, um, Spain-Switzerland. Lots of attempts at crosses, and even though there's no joy, they keep attempting the crosses, and they're like, they're not working. That makes it's sense. Two,
2: yeah. 2013-14 Moyes ball. Yeah, it was. There was a bit of hoisting. There was a lot of hoisting. Moyesian. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Leonardo Spinozola. Yeah. It looks like a serious Achilles injury. Obviously, it's too soon to scan yet, but a uh, few reports that it's a rupture means he could miss up to 12 months he
1: was devastated it's like he knew wasn't it
2: yeah he knew straight away and you kind of i mean we've both played football at lower level and we've both had quite serious injuries and you just know you know straight away no matter what level you're playing at he's 28 ryan yeah he's that's 28 a, and he absolutely.
1: had a that's heartbreaking
2: a really good season, really great tournament.
1: One of the players of the tournament without question.
2: Without doubt. He would have been in my team in the tournament for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was tweeting through that second half. I was just like, Insigne and Spinozola down that side are an, a, a huge problem. Horrible
1: problem. Horrible. horrible, horrible problem. Because they allow him to come inside. Mm. He stretches the flank so well. That's why he has all that room, because he's occupying the entire left flank.
2: I mean... First of all, just a devastating injury, a horrible injury. And not that he's going to listen to this, but we hope that he's he makes a full recovery, comes back fully fit. And hopefully, fingers crossed, it's the scans and stuff are a little bit more encouraging yeah, when, yeah, they, yeah. when they happen. But um, this really put a downer on it, I think, for it did, Italy. Yeah, yeah. Because he's been so important for them and he's been so impressive and a real fan favourite of the tournament. Yeah. That I do wonder how much of an effect that's going to have on the way they play Yeah,
1: it's like Grosso in 06 how Grosso was a cent- I love how they've got these kind of like fullbacks wingbacks who just like come to prominence a big tournament mm. in Italy and they're like run the show like Grosso in 06 is absolutely vital had not really had his shine gets to the international level and just bosses it and Spinazzolo felt similar like this was his moment you know mm. um, and so vital to how they play and to their intensity and to their balance, like they're the best balanced team. I think they had, coming out of the group stages, had the highest amounts of chance created and the lowest of chance of conceded. Like they were X in both categories. Mm. Um, that's a tough problem to solve for Mancini.
2: Yeah, it is, huh?
1: Yeah. But it's just, it's just gutting, isn't it? The, you know, it's, a, it's a cliche and it's tried to say it, but I just hate injuries so much. It's just the unfairness of it. There was a moment in Spain, Switzerland, I think, uh, towards the end of normal time, one of the Swiss players is chasing a high ball run and he like, you can see him pull up in anticipation of like pulling his hamstring Mm. and he's okay. I think it was as it far He pulls up and he was okay but that moment you're like, please don't let this person's moment be ruined by, by this injury. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, Just hope he makes a swift and full recovery. Um, Any more thoughts on this game?
1: No, all good.
2: All good. Do you think it's anything existential for Belgium or do you think that kind of quarterfinals was par for them?
1: I think it's painful for them, but when they step back from it, they'll be like, yeah, this was about... It would have taken a look, put it this way, they didn't create much in open play. Not really.
2: Yeah, I mean, the way that the draw panned out, being on that side of the draw, I think that was kind of... Nasty. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break and then we'll talk about Spain. Yep, yep.
0: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube.
2: Yes. Spain against Switzerland, a one-all draw that went all the way to penalties. Spain going through, and they'll play Italy in the semi-finals. Um, how this went to penalties, actually, how this went to extra time.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, can I say this about this game? I'm glad this was not the last piece of television I watched before bed. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I may be so bold. Why are you watching Threads again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some of this finishing felt like Threads, I'll tell you that. No, that's <laughs> fine. No, um, what I will say was that um, I wonder if a footballing nation, a major football nation, has ever conceded two more disastrous and self-inflicted goals than Spain in the knockout stages of a major tournament. If you consider the Croatia opener and the goal they conceded here, like this both completely unforced errors and Spain were on top. And playing some really lovely stuff as well.
2: Oh my god, they would like. This reminding me. I thought was reminded me of the Sweden game actually. Really, a little bit. That's interesting. Yeah, a little bit because yeah. they were just they just passed Switzerland off the pitch completely. Mm. Yeah, like but, what do they have? Like seventy odd percent possession, seventy two percent. But this possession? felt
1: even more progressive than the than the Sweden game. Like it felt like some of the passing movements. Busquets just in his element.
2: Yeah, I mean those two big wins for Spain have kind of nudged them up and, up a notch. If you think like. Pau Torres had 144 passes. Emerick Laporte had 125. Oh Jordi God. Alba had 100. Busquets had 93. Pedri had 84. Asper had 83. So the top six passes on the pitch were all Spanish. And only Emerick Laporte and Sergio Busquets had a pass completion rate of below 90%. And that was
1: 89%. That's mind-blowing. To the world, like? And a lot of those passes were like not safe passes. A lot no, of them. You,
2: you, you were talking online. What, what was the, th- th- the tweet you wrote?
1: Yeah, I was interested in like, is there, if there was a stat for speed of pass completed in the final third because there was a period in the first like twenty minutes, some of Spain's passing. I mean, I don't recommend people rewatch the entire game because it wasn't all thrilling, but Spain were hammering the ball into feet, and people going, oh, someone wrote. Uh, I think Oli Glanville was uh, he commented. He said, um, is that because you know, you play all those rondos and it basically sticks with you. I think that's part of it. I think it's also about you hit the balls, so the gaps don't close. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's that thing about like you sliding doors, you smack through the gap and the amount of times they were switching, coming deep, changing direction. It was gorgeous. And, and Switzerland, I mean, I've got a slight bone pick. There's a lot of talk of you know, brave Switzerland. They held out. I, well, no, because the teams you're playing against are known quantities. You're playing in the same league as a lot of these people. And you're, you're grown adults playing for penalties from like an hour out. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry to be harsh, but it's almost like I, I this was a Switzerland's game plan and I respect that. It's more the kind of my critique is of people that look at that and go, that's a brave performance. It's not brave. It's just,
2: it's not brave. I'm a bit more sympathetic actually, because this is the furthest they've been in a tournament since the fifties. They lost Granite Xhaka, who's been a really important part for them. He's been, ca- he's their captain. Right, right. And, you know, they were down to 10 men for like the last 20 odd minutes of, of normal time. like. But that was, yeah, and they lost Brayle and Bolo. true. Uh, Zakaria making his first start.
1: Yeah, but their outlook, I still, I still will be a bit critical because I feel like there's no obligation to play attacking football. There's no obligation to sort of play on the front foot at all or break with more purpose. And with that Mbolo, it becomes harder. I just feel like they still had the quality to do more with what they had um and this is because it's not
2: like because it's not like they stopped spain creating i mean spain's xg was like almost three yeah exactly exactly right right switzerland was like 0.77 i think so yeah uh, yeah but i think that the way that when the goal came for them i think that the key thing was just not to concede it's a massive cliche but especially when you're down to 10 men against the spanish side i mean you saw how much they just went turbo against Croatia in extra time. Right, yeah. I think that's the conservatism has come in because they've seen a side like Croatia get absolutely torched in extra time against Spain um, despite clawing themselves back into the game. And you would think that in that sense, usually the side who's kind of got themselves back into it, into it has the momentum.
1: Although I felt there were pickings in the back four with um, Spain. <clears throat> I feel like yeah, 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 this is the thing. I feel this is the thing. I almost felt like there's an opportunity there. If you look at how Switzerland really very aggressive, attacking Longley and Kempembe in particular in the last game, Mm. I think I expected more in terms of like targeting those weak points in and around, and also really like you know I'm not expecting to press Busquets because Busquets is not an easy person to press, but I thought I did expect more attempt to exploit the speed behind him you're know, not to go at him but to put it over him and just chase into those channels I didn't see as much of that as expected to
2: um, we saw uh, what happened when they did press in that on that pass that Pedri got through to Koke where yeah. he, you said you said something about hitting the hitting the passes before the gaps closed like Pedri was hitting passes before the gaps were even appeared like that was it was mind blowing it was unbelievable this ball I think he gets it off does he get it off gets actually maybe no he oh, the, doesn't one, the one he that you knows. shared the video you shared yeah. It. yeah yeah basically two players go towards uh, I think it's Busquets and Pedri's facing his own goal. For those who haven't seen it, I, I uh, retweeted a gif of it and basically banks on, he when he actually strikes the ball, Yes, if the player doesn't move, it's going straight to the player. Exactly. And the player he, can play and it goes square. The yeah. player
1: can go straight towards their own goal. Yeah.
2: yeah. Cuts it through two players to Koke and he basically does that by realizing that their momentum is going to carry them to open the space. It's unbelievable.
1: It's it's mine. It's it's a level of vision. I I remember you, you sent it, you shared it with us and I was, Ryan, I was in absolute shock because the last time I'd seen that. Here we go, everyone. It was actually Fabregas when I went that time the 7-0 when, when Arsenal beat Slavia Prague 7-0 in the Champions League with Flamini and Fabregas in the midfield. Why do you want to hurt me so much? I'm sorry, but it's when Fabregas, Fabregas, this player come from either side and Fabregas has the ball coming towards him. Out and he chest. lets the ball run. No, he lets the ball run through his oh, That's yes. against stuck The ball runs through his legs and does a Cruyff turn and then run and the two players almost collide. And he's banking on the two players, basically occupying the gap he's just left. It's mind blowing. And he just turns and spins away. And I was just like, oh my God, Fabregas saw them coming. And the genius of it is, it's very Tom and Jerry like, the players sneak up on Fabregas if he hasn't, as if like he, he lets them sneak up as if he doesn't know they're there. And the mm-hmm. same with Pedri. Pedri sees these people crashing him, and he knows exactly where they are. It's it's mind blowing. It's one of the great moments in this tournament in terms of like court vision.
2: Pedri created five chances in this game. I want to read you a few stats. Like because Kevin Williams wrote a tweet, a reposted a tweet about Pedri. Mm. Pedri has the most accurate final third passes, one hundred fifty six and most accurate passes in the opposition half, 277 in the Euros. He's added 356 completed passes overall, created nine chances, made seven tackles, and won the ball back 21 times in five games, and he's 18 years old. And I responded to, to the tweet that Kevin wrote, just saying, you know, he's incredible. And Kevin wrote, he responded with something really good it's a really good way to sum up how Pedri plays the game he says he plays the game like he's already seen the video
1: wow that's a brilliant description
2: he was so good again like so good again one of many great performers for Spain I think but this kid's 18 and like we said before he's gone mainstream I'm going to write a piece about it that will go up on the ringer early in the week and uh just, I kind of feel like I, I feel like I'm boring people by how much we go on about him, and how much we've gone on about. No, him but you week.
1: can't. You can never talk too much about Pedri. It's like you you can never have too much garlic <laughs> when you're, in your in your kitchen. You know, like in, in my kitchen unless, right now,
2: unless you do it up your nose like that TikTok craze that all no. doctors are like, please don't do this. It's well, really no, bad
1: for you. In your kitchen, you always need to have at least two clubs of garlic at any one time. Right, I've got two right now. I know. I always know at any one point. And Pedri's like that. You always, always need Pedri. You always That's need Pedri when there's good football. Yeah. Like, um, he's so special. There's even a moment in the first half, to be fair to Switzerland, when they did break, he was back defending.
2: Yeah. I, he was I the think last I man. Think covered, I think he's covered up until this game, I think he'd covered more ground than anyone else at Euros.
1: This lovely, compassionate substitution by Luis Enrique as well. Two minutes from the end of extra time, he takes Pedri off. That's also interesting. That's, yeah, all of that. Mm. Luis Enrique and Roberto Mancini may be two of the most underrated coaches in world football. In terms of how good they are, they are rated, don't get me wrong, they're highly rated, but there's a level they're not rated on because there's touches, there's things they do, they don't get full credit for. Like mm. like the uh, Luis Enrique thing about, like, what's your next Spain team? He's like, Alvar Morata and 10 others. Stuff like that. Or, like, um, sending on, was it Surigu, uh, Mancini sent on Surigu to get him some, some minutes for Italy mm-hmm. in the group stages because he knew he couldn't do it in the knockout just so he could get some games in the midst of the big tournament. And Luis Enrique taking off Pedri because he's like, I'm not sure I want an 18 year old in the mix in a shootout. Stuff yep. like that.
2: And Rod- protecti- he's Protecting him as well. It's and like just those got some tumpers. good penalty takers in that Spanish side. It didn't look like it initially. Bush gets, Bush gets hit the post. But then Unai Simon and a couple of good saves.
1: Actually, very quickly on the goals, um, deflected strike from Jordi Alba a few minutes after Zakaria had made a poor touch on the edge of his box on the break. He kind of had a really bad 5 minutes Zakaria because he messed up a counter-attack with mm. a, you know, it was an early touch, it wasn't in the game. Bad touch and then deflects a ball to his own goal, so it's 1-0. So it's through a really bad
2: defensive mix-up. It's quite a nice goal though. It's like nice finish. It was tidy finish. was a
1: nice finish, yes. Uh, but then so they to, we go to the penalties and really interesting to contrast goalkeeping styles, I thought. Mm. So Jan Sommer kind of went full space invader, didn't he? Like scuttling across the line and nice Simone was almost like, you know what it was? It was almost like landscape versus portrait. Like Simone was like, I'm going to stand tall and someone was like, I'll scuttle. And both were actually quite effective.
2: Simon scuttled for the first one though, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A it was a bit, kind of,
2: but then he kind of chilled.
1: But his, his energy was more generally, his energy was more about being tall, mm. which was funny because there was talk of bringing on David De Gea for penalties. was not seriously entertained. Um, but Simon is an active figure on the line. You said impressive. that? Oh, so there was a couple of, com- there's a conversation online about it and I just thought, well, well, no, because if you, if you saw David De Gea mm. in the final against Villarreal in the Europa League final, this is, how do I say this? Goalkeepers, and I said this on Twitter, goalkeepers have to have final boss energy in a shootout, right? They have to have that. Donnarumma mm-hmm. has it. Mm-hmm. Benay Simone has it. Jan Sommer, who was superb, has it. There was actually, a, there's a moment I was, I was watching him have this incredible performance in normal time. He was brilliant throughout extra time as well. Gerard Moreno was the unfortunate beneficiary of several of those, uh, those <laughs> saves, um, recipients of those saves. But I was thinking to myself, actually, with Jan Sommer, you, you're more likely to score if you, if you miss hit it. Like, he's so locked in at this point that the only way you're going to score is like, with a t- like scuffing it, you need a bad finish because yeah. if you're hitting it clean, he's virtually going to catch some of these.
2: Yeah, or the occasional one that will go straight at him. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, This is the thing. You've, <laughs> you've almost got to make it, you've almost got to make it. I was watching, I didn't want to sort of say it on Twitter because I didn't want to like, you know, but I, I was like, having watched Jan Sommer a lot of glad back, you're like, when he's locked in, uh, you're better off. Yeah, You're better off scuffing it.
2: <laughs> uh, June Pan wrote a really great tweet.
1: Oh god, yeah. This tweet was amazing. One of my favorite tweets of the tournament. Yeah, please go for it. I love this tweet.
2: The way Sommer's life has gone, he'll now save two penalties in the shootout, only for his teammates to miss three. Just watch. <laughs> and it
1: was absolutely almost exactly spot on, wasn't it?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, basically, Busquets hit the post, and he saved the Rodri one, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, the Swiss missed three. A little bit of a scare for Spain. They've escaped. And I don't think Luis Enrique would be too concerned, actually, about the performance overall.
1: There's a weird part of me that thinks he kind of likes it. Because... It's almost like- He's
2: got like similar energy. To, it's like, this is, you know, we suffer, we have to suffer. Yes, like Simeone's,
1: the <laughs> yeah. suffering, the anxiety exists. Was it? The suffering is necessary. I think this was existential for Luis Enrique because if you consider it, the moment it went to penalties, Switzerland were overjoyed, right? They'd achieved this objective. They knew they could go to a in a shootout or at least that was the thinking, which was, you know, fair. And it was almost like Spain have been fully battle tested. They've probably had the widest variety of encounters in this tournament. Mm. Come be, they've come from behind they've been pulled back and had to go ahead to win again they've had these grueling extra times had the shootout you know it's they've been tested in every possible way and one thing we love about Luis Enrique as a player and a manager he loves a good test he loves mm. that uh, you know if someone said to you if you said like years later oh by the way Spain didn't finish that well in that tournament Football historians would be like, what the hell? They scored like five goals here. They said, no, no, no. But the big picture is, is more broad than that. They've shown unbelievable resilience, I think. And shout out to Danny Olmo as well, who was fantastic in terms of pushing the agenda and hit a great penalty as well. Yep. He's, he's pushing for a start, to be honest. I, I don't think he'll I don't get think,
2: one. Yeah, I don't think that's a hot take. I no, don't sure. think he'll
1: get one, but I think that he's, it's not wild that he would get a start. And shout out to Oya Tharbol as well, who's just been it yeah, out. I, mean, I love him, man yeah I love him he's the reckoner he is the reckoner in this team like he has delivered so many times this tournament
2: yeah he's great man I mean Spain are looking good and that midfield partic- in particular is I think it's Serious. been the best I think it's been the best midfield of the tournament oh, that's not a take what am I talking about how lukewarm is that everyone's just like yeah huh <laughs> well, well done Ryan. you got there on
1: with the heat seekers oh
2: steady on Ryan. Oh, don't goodness. go
1: Rocking the boat. Yeah. Ooh. ooh. That is the most centrist thing you've said in this podcast. Oh Fucking hell.
2: <laughs> oh God. I'm is that where ooh, I am?
1: Quite good. Quite good. That's Spain midfield, isn't it? Ooh, that's quite good. Ooh, that's quite good.
2: Hmm. Okay. So they've got Italy next. That's midfield, isn't it? They're pretty injury free, aren't they, Spain? They're pretty, they're all right, I think, from what I can recall. They
1: have to step up on the on the finishing front. They have to, and they will. I don't. This is think what I'm worried about. I don't think you get two games like that. I have more faith in their ability to generate chances than I did in Belgium. I have more faith in Spain's ability to create chances. This is just going to be an old school midfield battle, and it's a special one because Verratti is locked in. Jorginho's ball recycling was unbelievable in this game. Mm of a key part of why they were so tired because it just kept the intensity up. I I will sit on the fence. I just can't call this one.
2: Spinazzola's injury is a big thing. I honestly don't know how that's going to affect Italy against a side like Spain. I think Spain might end up targeting that side because of it.
1: Target the flanks. I mean, look, Di Lorenzi as well struggled against speed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dama hasn't been used much, but I think they need to look at that and be like, look, look like they are, if there's any vulnerability, it's cutting to the byline and cutting it back. Edge of the box and also that sort of space, I mean, cutting it right across the goal is not that, but cutting it back. And Pedri's really good at that. He's really good mm. at everything, frankly,
2: but that particular. I do wonder whether you'll see Marcus Llorente start, actually, instead of Quetta. because I just think Marcus Llorente is a little bit more equipped to deal with that Italian left-hand side. More dynamic as well. Mm. we'll push you, will push you back. Yeah. yeah. So I th- I think that's probably the one change that I could see Spain make. Mm. Or like you said, you could, you know, maybe Almo comes in for Sarabia.
1: Maybe, maybe I think. I think that's the one thing where I say he's got a good flow, a good momentum, and he combines well.
2: It's got the, uh, am I going to give it the kiss of death now? I was going to say, I think it's going to be an absolute classic.
1: I don't know if it will be because I don't know if, I
2: don't think Spain will play at the speed that Belgium did. Italy will. I think they might have to. I'm, well, no, I think <laughs> mm, I think I think I think Spain will have to keep. I think Spain will have to play at a tempo. They can't let Italy dictate the tempo. They'll swarm like you. you. S- They'll swarm yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what I think it might be quite a, quite a chaotic game actually. Or we'll like control chaos if that makes sense. Because I think Spain are going to have to keep the ball moving at such a clip. But when Italy do, you know that it's going to be full, full tilt. Yeah. So I think, it could, I think it could be amazing. It could, it could be a complete, like dead out, but my gut is saying that it's going to be in a, a really, really good game. Italy
1: are going to work them. They are going to work them. Well, they both, they will in different ways, but like just the intensity they came at Belgium, it makes me wonder if they'll target someone like Busquets because the amount of time he had, against Switzerland, he was strolling, he was jogging around. Mm. I just wonder if they really go after the base of that midfield.
2: Do you think Verratti, Barella and Jorginho is enough of a matchup though? Because I think the, the great thing about that Spanish midfield is that every piece is kind of like, it's, it's almost like too finely balanced. It's perfectly yeah, yeah, yeah. balanced. Yeah, I'm not so sure that that Italian midfield will get as much joy against Spain.
1: Do you know what reminds me of actually this, Ital- this uh, midfield for this game? The Spain midfield reminds me of the 2015 Barcelona midfield. Mm. Busquets, Iniesta and Rakitic, it reminds me of that. With like Rakitic, the kind of coquet role and Busquets, obviously Busquets, and Pedri as the Iniesta. It's a very similar dynamic in terms of the blend. And the thing about that midfield that's a bit worrying for Italy is when that midfield was on, it was absolutely locked in.
2: That's why I think it's quite important for them to add in something like the athleticism of Marcus Lorente. Because I yeah. think he can also be an extra body in midfield in a, in a kind of attacking sense as well, and I,
1: I think as- he as- comes inside, he tucks in I mean, well. I yeah, think
2: has yeah. been really good this tournament, though. This isn't a this isn't a call for him to get dropped. I just think that if Luis Enrique is going to make a change, I can understand him making one there hmm. for what Italy pose as a threat.
1: But it's like Trippier playing left back in the first game for England, wasn't it? Like in yeah, terms mass, of yeah. the specific attacking threat, yeah you want that person there. And the same for this, for Urente. And the good thing is for Luis Enrique, he's tried it. Mm. So he knows what it looks like. He knows how it can work. And I think, I think there's real joy to be had on the flanks against Italy. Mm. Actually, there's real joy there. Yeah, I agree. We, we saw Doku do it. Doku a couple of times. He could have, yeah. that, that strike he had late on wasn't yeah. that far over. No. And it's the way, and that incursion that he consistently made, the inside left position, it's going into out, you know, like what's that, um, they have it in, in in basketball and you have a, 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 someone cuts it, they slash into the lane and then kick it out. Mm. That's, that's a good Slash and for. kick, man. Yeah, slash and kick, yeah, slash and kick could be a thing that works for for Spain. Oof, I'm looking forward
2: to that. Yeah, very much so. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we bounce? No, I think we're good actually. I think we're good. A quick fire pod round in those two games. Don't, yeah, don't forget we'll be back on, we'll both be joining Mariety on Monday. Yeah, yeah. Covering the rest of the quarterfinals, looking ahead to the the other semi final as well. But yeah. All right, man, let's get out of it. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, enjoying the football. Enjoy the rest of the football over the weekend. If anything else you're up to? Yeah, don't forget to check the Stadio Pride logo tees. Go to twitter.com forward slash stadio. The link is at the top. Only a few days left on those, so don't miss them. We won't be back on another... Well, we'll be on Righty's House, so we'll give him a final plug then. But yeah, go do it. Much appreciated. We're donating all of the proceeds. Check the ringer.com forward slash soccer over the weekend. Check Wright's house on Monday. And we're we'll playing and yeah, Stadio Outro's poc- uh, playlist on Spotify, all the music we play out on playing out this episode with Chivo Boraro half and half. Anything else you want to add, Musa? I thought we are playing late night, so play out some jazz. I love that. No, I'm good, I'm good. I'm all locked in. Love it. Alright man. man. Well uh, come on England. <laughs> Yeah, come on, England! Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> uh, much love, everyone. We'll see you on Wright's house on Monday. See you then.